Hello, comedy fans. Brian Callen is a comedian, podcaster, writer, and actor. As far as the stand-up is concerned, he will be in Austin this weekend at the newly reopened Cap City Comedy Club. Tickets for July 28th through July 30th can be purchased at capcitycomedy.com. Brian, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? Oh, hold on. You got to see my face. There it is. Look at that right there. There, there, there I am. There's that beautiful mug. That's what they say, buddy. I've had no work done. A little work, actually, a little work. But other than that, this is all natural. This is all natural. <laughs> Take up, me man? I like, I like your throne, bro. That's good. Thank you. Uh, if you hear any coffee shop ambiance, it's because I am actually in a coffee shop in Breckenridge, Colorado right now. So I apologize if it's distracting at all. Well, Breckenridge is amazing. If you hear, if you hear the sound of a baby in the background, that'd be my six-month-old child. And I'm, I'm 55. Still doing it. Still, oh. I thought it'd be a good idea to have a, a kid in high school when I'm 75. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're going to be the guy that everybody is mistaking for a grandpa. That's, uh, That's right. The yeah. old guy with plastic surgery. I'll do it all. Testosterone. <laughs> I'll do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to stay young and not die. Okay. Well, well thankfully, you're not going to hear my seven and five-year-old right now. This interview is providing me a bit of a respite from them. They're on a mountain somewhere right now, and I'm getting to talk to you, Brian. Breckenridge, Colorado is one of the greatest places on the planet. Let me just, let's start there. Yep. Okay. So it's amazing. Yeah. And I had only skied here for a number of years, but we came and visited in the summer these last few. And I got to say the, the summer in the mountains is almost as good as, as winter in the mountains. hundred percent. Well, my parents retired in park city. I say it's better. I mean, I'm not a good skier. Are you a good skier? Yeah, but I'm also 45 years old now, and how much how much of a beating do I want my knees, my back, my ankles, and everything else to take by going out there for four or five days, right? Well, a couple things, first of all. You look every bit of 35. Thank you. you got tight-fitting skin, very clear blue eyes, and a full head of blonde, dare I say a mane of hair. So you belong on the slopes. You look like you're this – you look like a Nordic – you look like you come from the ice. You're a northern white, as I call it. I – I, uh, I bred with a woman like of your ilk. So, I know the, so yeah, I'm not skiing. I, the cold cuts right through my Mediterranean bones. I, I was never that guy. The irony, uh, Brian, is that I'm just about as Armenian as your uh, podcast colleague, Sam Tripoli, who, by Come the way, on. please, please tell you? him hello when you talk to him. It's been a few years. Yeah, I am actually. I'm more Armenian than anything else. The only way that you can tell is from the uh, the the sharp nose, beak sharp level nose. hook in the nose, and yeah. I I consider every day uh, donating my children to a traveling circus. Those are the two ways that you can tell that I'm Armenian. Those are the two ways where you can make you you're always looking to make money some way, but but I would say that somebody in your lineage or a lot of people people in your lineage got busy with some very blonde, blue-eyed Russians. That's what's really going on. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry about that, but that's what happened. That's your, right. There's, your, grand, there's, your grandmother was a little bit of a tramp, if you know what I mean. There's some Russian. There's some Welsh. The Welsh is the uh, the trampy side of things, you know. Okay, okay. So you got Armenian and Welsh. Ar Armenian, Welsh, German. There's a little bit of Italian in there as well. I'm just a complete mutt, Brian. Okay, you're a mix. All right, I got you. Then. Never mind. So I see. This is why you don't judge a book by its cover. This is a good way to start this interview. The, the lesson of today is that we are all of one ilk, and if you. And if you're going to judge people by the way they look, you're going to be wrong a lot of times. That's right. Go, go in with your preconceived notions, but also understand that those notions all may be busted five minutes into the conversation, right? Don't be afraid to read patterns, though. 
If somebody's got clammy hands and they smell like booze, get yourself a different <laughs> dentist. Okay. All right. That's all I'm saying. I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb. So I'm excited that you're uh, one of the first comedians to uh, get to take part in the newly reopened Cap City Comedy Club. I know that you performed at the old venue in the past. Uh, is Austin a place that you generally love to uh, to come and uh, spread that comedic seed, if you will? Yeah, it's one of those. Uh, it's one of those amazing places. You know, like you you travel all over the place and you go to different parts of the country even the world, but Austin's always going to be awesome. And when I think of Austin, I think of food trucks and delicious food. I really do. I think of live music. I just think of uh, a, an eclectic group of innovative, thoughtful artists. They might be annoying, but it's still Texas, and I appreciate that. It's just something I like about it. It's it's. I love the neighborhoods. I love, I love that... I still think it's it's been two years since I've been to Austin, but I still think that, you know, well, a lot of the California money has come in, but it still has that charm. And the problem with, you know, outside investment and, and like rich Californians and stuff, sometimes they come in and tear down the old houses that were there that gave the neighborhood that fabric. And they 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 put something else in in their own likeness and image. And it doesn't have a connection to the community. And they also don't need the community that's what happened in venice so that's what i worry about with austin you know it's one of those things where i've heard mcconaughey talk about it i've heard your boy rogan talk about it who's obviously in austin right now it's like don't bring the bs that you left that previous place to the new place you know you don't right. have to necessarily try and fit in but try and adapt a little bit better and try and be a little bit more accommodating of everybody else around you because otherwise you're going to turn it back into what california already is I'll give you an example. My buddy owns several businesses and uh, big, big business, a lot of businesses. So he's, he's, he's a wealthy guy. He gets sued. I think it was something crazy. He, he's been sued a thousand times, 1000 times in, in California. Okay. In California, he's been sued 1000 times. Okay. And that's in the period of less than five years. Think about this 1000 times. Um, he, in the same period in Texas, his businesses in Texas, he's been sued once. Hmm. And that person was justified. There is a difference in the culture. There is a difference in the notion that I'm responsible for myself as an individual and somebody owes me something. And I think that that it's fascinating that that can actually be something you can track that predictably state to state. It's really interesting. Yeah, I just, I just saw you retweet uh, a Bill Maher bit on uh, on the trans community and how much bigger it is in California than Ohio. I mean, yeah, it's called social contagion. Exactly. It's called social contagion. Gender wasn't something that well, I'm too busy. I am too busy in my life paying bills and trying to get like my kids a better life. Literally, it's a full time job. Everything's a full time job trying to make money. Everything's a full time job. I, I can't have gender and all your pronouns in, in, I don't have time to keep track of that. Uh, tell me what you want me to call you. How about it? How about this? How about this? I don't care if you would identify as non-binary trans. How about this is going to sound radical. I just call you by your name. How's that sound? Whoa, okay? whoa, whoa, whoa. Be careful there, bro. I know, dude, it's crazy. Let me just call you by your name. I'll do it. I'll do it. And I, I had a, coffee i was getting my coffee and the person in front of me had long hair and but i said uh well he's got that great hair and he said she 
and did it very nicely. And I said, well, see, now I'm old and I didn't realize that. And I would never call her he again. I don't want to hurt her feelings. I don't want to, I don't want to be the guy that says, no, I'm not interested in that. So if that's how this person wants to be referred to for now or forever, I'm your ally. I'll help you out there. But don't act as though this is the biggest challenge of our time. Don't act like this is something that, don't act like 30% of the population is trans. None of this is true. It, it, it's still a very, very tiny minority. And we don't quite know what makes it happen. And we certainly don't know how to make it uh, so that the trans people who are truly trans, the, the, I guess the suicide rate is something crazy. I don't want to quote, I don't know. Uh, I hear a lot of statistics, but I haven't seen the actual data behind it. But if it is as high as 50% or whatever, I understand people who say, we got to stop this. But I don't know if anything we're doing right now is doing that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know enough. So I, I try to stay out of it. The point is, I'm not that interested in talking about it because I don't think it's affecting nearly as many people as people make it out to be. It's become a side show job for people. It's become a way, it's become a rallying cry for people who are doing their best to gain social credibility. They don't, I just don't buy that people care that much. I don't. Like when you say transphobic, what are you talking about? I'm asking a fucking question. You're losing me. It's just, you're causing me to resist it. So, I, so I'd rather just not even enter the conversation. Like, I don't care. What are you? Okay, cool. I don't care. Moving on. Yeah, it's a fascinating uh, example of virtue signaling. And you're right. Oftentimes it's being used as a distraction to uh, keep people in the dark and other more serious things going on that actually have more of a direct impact on us day to day. Yeah, but it's also like there are a lot of people that, that, that say they're trans and they're not. I don't believe right. you. you are hijacking a movement because you are trying to negotiate that problem called individuality. And sometimes, see, to be an individual, to be to be a fully realized person, to self-actualize, to be a high-value human being, to be the kind of person that does get the goodies in, in life, which we all want, status, power, money, recognition, um, working with really smart, fascinating people, doing what you love and you're passionate about, that takes so much fucking work. That takes so much dedication, courage repetition, failure. Sometimes it takes 50 years. And then there are people that say, I'm not going to do any of that work. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hijack a movement or I'm going to identify as something radical, or I'm going to be radical about something. And that's how I'm going to get my credibility. And that's what I reject. It's a little bit like going, well, I don't have any skills, but I'm going to start walking around with a sword. Yeah. And I'm going to bejewel my hilt. And now every time I walk in a room, people are going to go, that's the guy with the sword. And I'm wearing a fucking sword. And I might pierce my dick as well. <laughs> and so now I'm the guy that has a sword and has a pierced dick. It didn't take much work, but I'm being, I'm being talked about at least. You know, That's kind of what bothers me about it. If you're truly trans, I am your fucking ally. I don't know anything about what you're going through. I, I, I will protect you to the nth degree. I really will. I've always been that way because I care about people. 
And I love the difference. And I love the cornucopia of, of sexuality and, and mentality that makes this great country so rich with diversity. Yes, to all of that. But there are a lot of imposters out there. Fuck you. That's what I have to say. Put your sword, leave your sword at home, bro. You can't fit in a car with that. There's yeah. no, there are no seats in, in, my, in my automobile for you. You're not, you don't get to sit in the front all the time and have your sword sticking in the back. Love that. And there are obvious lines here, like the uh, Leah Thomas, the, the pen swimmer who competed as a male in college. Get Zion the Zion. fuck out of here with that guy. It, it's insane. You fucking, you're stealing women's hard-earned American, all-American status scholarships. You, with your six-foot-four frame who couldn't compete with men. Get out of here. No. Unfair anti-female, anti-woman. It's all bullshit. Don't tell me, you know, oh, you're shattering records. Yeah, yeah, bro, you're 6'4". You're and you still have your, you're still basically a guy, from what I understand. Didn't even have, I mean, maybe it took some estrogen. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, it's, that's where I, I have a big problem. And it doesn't make me transphobic. Fuck off. So there's that level. And then there's the level of identifying as female to go to prison at an all female prison and then getting to knock up like three or four prison, three or four of your fellow yeah. too, you know? Yes. We have to be careful about these hard cases, you know, cause they're, they're, that's what happens with people like us. And I'm, I'm guilty of it. You know, we'll, we'll take hard cases like this and go, see, this is what happens. Sometimes a kid gets puberty blockers and doesn't want this. So I, I'm, I'm a big, I'm, I'm a, I'm a mouthpiece about, I, I do that a lot. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, you know, I, I go back to a lot of bad cases, a lot of abuse, yes, of this, this gender movement. But I do think that most of the people, like, I do genuinely believe there are people that are born in a different body. I do genuinely believe someone like Bruce Jenner felt like a woman his whole life. And I, and I, and I think that that's a real thing that goes on. Yeah. And, um, I think it must be very, very difficult. I have personally interviewed and talked to people, including a SEAL Team 6 guy. He wrote a book called Warrior Princess, which I read, and I interviewed him. That dude was one of the baddest dudes. That guy was, was, was a SEAL Team 6 decorated operative who saw more combat than most people. Mm-hmm. And always but started doing these almost suicide missions because he couldn't live in his body anymore. Finally got out, lost his kids, lost everything because he transitioned. And I don't know what's going on with him now. I hope he's okay or she's okay now. But but this is, this is now he became a woman because it was it it, it it was literally the only way he was going to save his own life. So she became a she. Now I am not about to get. I'm not about to criticize that person. Criticize the people helping that person. I'm not about to get. I don't know enough about it, man. I'm not going to do that. So. Speaking of you interviewing people and uh, doing some research for this conversation over the last few days, I see that you have, it looks like a, maybe a new interview series on YouTube, Brian Callen's Best Of, and you spoke yes. so to the freaking bull bravano. Yep. YouTube.com slash Brian Callen. Uh, that's the YouTube channel. Brian Callen, YouTube.com slash Brian Callen Comedy. And it's, um, I have this new show called Best Of, which is basically the best of whatever town has to offer or whatever. And I, I, uh, I flew Sammy the Bull Gravano in. I did a two-part series on him, and it was fascinating. I spent two days with that guy. You're talking about the number two underboss of the Gambino crime family. The baddest, I mean, you're talking about as, as 
died in the wool of mafioso as it got gets. Went to jail for killing 19 people. You know, all the bad, all the guys you hear about worked for him or with him. You know, and I've never been into the mafia stuff, but his storytelling was so intriguing. And there's an artist in there. He's half an artist. It's really weird. He's such a walking dichotomy. Just a guy you can't really pinpoint. And I was fascinated. And and yeah, it was, it was, uh, I, I would encourage anybody to, we, do, we redid a scene from Black Mass where he plays Johnny Depp. It was his favorite scene because hmm. I wanted him to play a gangster. And we redid that. So it's, it's, I think it's episode six and episode seven, Sammy the Bull Romano. But we really get into it in the second episode. Like I'm driving with him and my buddy was recording the shit we were talking about on the iPhone. He didn't even know the camera was on. And it was intense. Intense, man. I was nervous. I was afraid of him because I'm old enough to remember when he ran New York. So he was terrifying. I mean, that's a terrifying dude. About yeah, I mean, five five too. About five foot five inches tall. He's the reason why um, John Gotti obviously got rung up. So even even at uh, in his older age, he still has that uh, he still has that factor about him that uh, has you a little bit scared of him, huh? You don't you don't lose that. He's still he's still Sam the Bull Romano. Yeah, yeah. Well, I talked to him yesterday. I Facetimed him yesterday. So you guys are just good friends now. Well, you know, I I, I like to I, I called him and told him I was like, listen, man, people really like the episode, man. You're you're killing it, and 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 they do, you know. So Sammy's um, a good storyteller, but I consider you a pretty good storyteller too. From just uh, listening to the podcast over the years, seeing your uh, stand up over time, you've got three different specials out starting in 2012. What's what's key to a good? I'm about story? to drop my next one. I'm about to drop Man Tears, uh, and that is uh, going to be September 3rd. I'm going to drop that. You gonna so, go? You gonna go independent with that one? Not rely on? Yeah, I'm. I'm going YouTube. I'm going YouTube. I'm following the Andrew, Andrew Schultz model. I'm yeah. not gonna. I'm not gonna actually um, put it up for you know sale. I'm just gonna put it out there for free because for me it's all about selling tickets. Love that. Yeah. So are you gonna be performing this stand up in Austin this weekend? Yeah, but I'm already writing a whole bunch of new stuff. I can't you- let Ov Wade and the gun laws go. I got to talk about. It. I have to. So, so I'm excited. It's really, it's, I don't know, man. It just feels really good. You, you, you always, you're like, every time I write a special, I do a special, I got to throw everything out. It's two years of work minimum. Mm-hmm. Now I got to start from scratch. And you go through a period of writer's block where you're like, dude, what am I, what, what am I saying? What can I do? What if this is it? And then somehow it comes. If you just sit quietly for long enough, it comes to you. So it's pretty cool. I think this is the best time to be a stand-up comedian. Obviously, stand-up, the art form, got going back in the 1960s, 70s. It really starts to take off. There are these different eras. We're in a fascinating place now because, and you're somebody who's been a bit of a victim of this, that so many people are looking to cancel others because they say or do things that they disagree with. But at the same time, if if you can establish yourself and show a a sort of fearlessness uh, in the face of that mob, then it seems like you can can really excel in this day and age and stand-up. I hope so. Satire, there's always room for satire. Um, there have always been people who try to kill the artist. There were always, you know, with the king would say, he's not making me laugh, kill the fool. You know, that, that, that's always been a reality for anybody in the business of comedy. I think what, what, I, what, what has been used as a weapon against anybody who certain people disagree with has been um, sort of taking, especially men, and, and, and labeling them something deviant sexually 
or, you know, you, you, what you have to do anytime you get canceled, regardless of what it is, if you're innocent, if you didn't do anything, is you, because you don't get away with it otherwise. You don't get away with being, I don't think you get away with anything in life. And if you did something that is very shameful, then own it, own it. You got it. Otherwise, it'll eat you up from the inside. But if you are someone who is innocent and there is trial by media and there is execution by media, and there is execution by social media in today's world. I don't see it getting better. Um, pendulums always swing back and forth, but it's a very powerful force because corporate America is terrified of any any bad Twitter storm, etc. I mean, it took one article, one article, not even mentioned by name to cancel the biggest movie star on the planet. Johnny Depp didn't work for six fucking years. Okay, six years. Nobody's interested in due process. And when that happens, you are next. That's my problem with it. But if you're innocent, don't stop moving. Don't stop talking and, and stand up for yourself. Stand up for yourself. Because there are always going to be people that doubt and things like that. Not relevant, not important. You stand with, and when chaos hits, you better fucking tell the truth because it's the only way out. It's the only way out. And, and may, there may not be a way out. You, there'll be damage that you will not walk away from. There will be mm -hmm. real damage. To, let me tell you about cancel culture. You lose everything. You lose everything. All your money. You lose your house. You can lose everything. Your kids have to go to a different school. They have to sell the dog, whatever the fuck it is. Don't kid yourself. So when you wield that trial by media, when media and social media is, is judge, jury, and executioner, which is what goes on, don't kid yourself. That person is done. They can't earn a living a lot of times. Okay. And their family, their immediate family, they go without. It's a disaster. So if you're going to wield that club without any due process, you better be choosing the right targets. What did Johnny Depp say? I lost everything, nothing less than nothing. He's right. And so it's important to realize that. Some people are creeps. Some people are shitheads. Harvey Weinstein's the world need to fucking rot in hell. They suck. And we've all known that. I've been in this business for 30 years. I knew what a scumbag that guy was. My girlfriend. My fucking girlfriend, long-term girlfriend, was the first person to come out against Harvey Weinstein. The first person to come out against Harvey Weinstein, okay? And I remember it. I remember her telling me that story very well. And I knew all about that dude and other women. I know a lot of famous actresses that dealt with that that didn't come forward. I personally know that. I know that. And I knew it before 2017, okay? So, yeah, there are assholes out there. Oh, and by the way, anybody who thinks that we as people should have stood up and talked about it, you couldn't prove shit. That's where the Me Too movement's really good. That's where it comes forward. And it's like, you know, it, it, fair play is good shit, right? Fair play is all good. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all good. I, I don't like a bully and I certainly don't like scumbags. But let's let's just be careful about the, the club we wield. We're getting serious here, dude. So I'm guessing that uh, the ability to admit when you've done wrong and not doing so eating you from the inside is the reason why Bill Cosby's eyes have been going over the last <laughs> few years then. It's why he looks like a boiled turtle. <laughs> that guy looks like, I mean, I, he, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't, I think he's a sociopath. 
Oh yeah, no question about it. I mean, that. it's so weird to be a genius comic and be that that much. It was eighty fucking women. Well, the dude, like, was, dude. The, the dude was making Spanish fly jokes back in the nineteen seventies. I mean, it was in his comedy act. I know it's so weird, man. It's so it's so cringy. It's I can't even take it. So. So anyway. I'm uh, I'm in that category of people who uh, who first saw you on Mad TV in the mid 1990s. I was a uh, junior senior in high school when you were going through that craziness, all the hilarious uh, comedic stuff, obviously the impersonations and whatnot. I was surprised when when looking into things that you've only been putting out stand up specials for about ten years or so. Have you been doing stand up that entire time, or is stand up something that happened a little bit more recently for you? No, I I was I stopped doing stand up for from the age of 28 to like 35 because okay. I was acting. I was acting. It was really Rogan. It was really Joe Rogan that got me back into stand-up. Huh. And believe it or not, Dane Cook's example. I watched him one day and he was so fucking amazing. I was like, I got to get back into comedy. And and so in 2006, I got past the comedy store and I just started going ham. Mm. And I never looked back. So yeah. that Did 2006 you- was when I really started doing like, you know, a lot of spots in LA and started doing stand-up full-time and then touring. You know, that was that was wild. Did you and Rogan first meet on the Sudden News Radio? Yeah. No, we met on the set of Mad TV in 1996. Oh, wow. Okay. 1996. That's how long I've known that guy. So you've been doing stand up again for about 20 years now then, huh? Yeah. Yeah. More than that. But yeah. Is there anything that is off limits now that uh, places you were willing to go 20 years ago? No. Not for me. I've never been a mean comic and I never liked making fun of, well, back in the day, you could, you could, you could make fun of gay people with impunity. I never did it in my life. I never used the F word for gay people, but people were always using it all the time. I never liked it. I never liked it because I had a gay acting teacher when I was in 1991 who explained to me what it was like to be a gay man and have your head kicked in by a bunch of straight dudes while you're while you're trying to protect your lover you know oh. like that dude made the he he explained to me what real violence was like for a gay man growing up in the 60s and 70s and 80s and i never forgot it because i admired him so much he kind of saved my life a little bit he was my acting teacher he explained to me that being that that there were other types of masculinity i always thought there was only one kind of masculinity my dad was a marine you know, he was a, he was six foot four and 240 pounds and just a man, just a man, not sensitive to the environment, didn't care about what kind of food went in his mouth. Just a man. I was I he was just a big old bear and I was a kitty cat. I was born a cat, finicky eater, sensitive to his environment, sensitive in general, emotionally. And um, this man said to me, you have one idea of what masculinity is. It's it's the metric you use for to, to 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 measure the strongest football player, the best boxer, the biggest superhero. You ain't that, bro. There are other strengths men can possess: understanding, empathy, compassion, emotional intelligence, emotional vulnerability. I felt all those things, hmm. so that's why I became an actor. It's the only time I felt alive. It's the only time I felt at home. The only time I felt normal. I think that's the way I feel when I'm on stage too, and talking this way. Yeah, I think it works really well. All right, last question, Brian. I want to touch on something that you uh, that you touched on a little bit earlier. You talked about failure and the lessons that can be learned from failure. I'm a, a big 
big fan of exiting comfort zones because you can achieve great things as a result, but oftentimes you fall flat on your face and there's some great lessons to learn in the meantime. What is uh, one of the biggest failures from your life and what was the lesson that you took from that? Well, there's a, I've talked about this many times. There's a book by a Zen poet called One Continuous Mistake. And life is one continuous mistake. And I fall into the habit of going back in my life and thinking about the people I would have avoided and the things I would have avoided doing. Okay. Mm -hmm. But so most of my life has been failure, Mm. honestly. I mean, 90% of my life, and I'm not kidding, has been failure. Not fast enough, not big enough, not strong enough, not good looking enough, not funny enough, not patient enough, not smart enough, not disciplined enough. I mean, all those things. And so in terms of my biggest failure, the, 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 the part of it might have been, I suffer from, and I heard Elon Musk say the same thing, which was really interesting. I probably suffered from wishful thinking too often. It'll work out. It'll work out. And I don't have to worry about that right now. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Hmm. Yeah, you do. You get away with nothing. You get away with nothing. So you get what you put in. And most of the time and all the time, the contract you enter into with life will be mocked, torn up, rearranged, canceled, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't matter how good you are. You have to accept that. You have to accept that loss and failure and even a flood that takes everything you've ever worked on will happen to you. And that's the point of being a limited creature called a human being. And what really matters is who are you after that happens? Who are you while that happens? Please accept that God has no favorites. You are not one of God's favorites, I promise. All of the bad things can come for you, and some of them will come for you. And that is to be embraced chaos happens. And I think it's very important to know not only that that is coming, but that's supposed to come because it's supposed to make you a better person. It's supposed to make you more resilient. And maybe the most important thing, it's supposed to teach you or at least show you who you knew you were all along. There are hidden gifts in destruction. So if something bad happens to you, you're listening to me. If something bad happens to you, and it will, when the flood comes, your job is to orchestrate your response in such a way that in a year, three years, five years, or 10 years, you look back on that event and you say, I wouldn't have changed it if I could, because it made me who I am today. And that's what I'd say to anybody who's younger. Wow, what a fantastic way to end this conversation. He is Brian Callen, a comedian, podcaster, writer, and actor. As far as the stand-up is concerned, he'll be in Austin this weekend at the newly reopened Cap City Comedy Club. Tickets for July 28th through July 30th can be purchased at capcitycomedy.com. Or BrianCallen.com. Or BrianCallen.com. My apologies. BrianCallen.com is also another great place to get those tickets. Brian, thank you so much for the time today. Big fan of your work over the years, and I really enjoy the conversation as well. I appreciate it, pal. Come out to a show and check out Best Of on YouTube and uh, Conspiracy Social Club on Rockfin. 
That's a fun podcast where Sam Tripoli comes up with conspiracies and I debunk them. And it's WWE. So it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brian. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it, man. Thank you to Gentleman Jesus for the intro and outro music. Hear more of his work at GentlemanJesus.com. And thanks to Joshua Bates for the video editing. If you have any video editing needs, hit him up on Instagram at Forager Digital. And thanks as always to you for checking us out. You can watch, listen, learn, and connect for free at BooksOnPod.com. For Books on Pod, I'm Trey Elling. Good day.